Football Social Daily. With GDK, taste the difference with our quality ingredients and lean succulent beef. The show must go on. The Premier League season will be completed regardless of how long it takes. It's the news some clubs were desperate for, for others perhaps not the outcome that they wanted. A joint statement from the FA, EFL and Premier League revealed the season will remain suspended due to the coronavirus pandemic until April the 30th at the earliest, but it will be extended indefinitely until all the matches have been played. In a nutshell, forget about next season. Completing the current campaign is of paramount importance to the powers that be, however long it takes. Welcome to Football Social Daily from Sports Social, keeping you up to date with all the goings on in the English top flight. Locked down in their bunkers, but still committed to the podcast cause, we have Jim Salverson. Hello, Jim. Hello, I am 40 foot underground in my steel airtight bunker as we speak, but ready to go. Nice one. We've also got Marley Anderson. Hello, Marley. Hello. Yeah, I'm not quite in a bunker like Jim. I can't, I'm not on as much money as Jim, so I'm just <laughs> making, do, making do with my girlfriend's, uh, well, fiance's table of uh, makeup which has got every product you could possibly imagine a woman could have (laughs) there'll be plenty of housekeeping for everyone to do over the next few weeks i'm sure and we have some of our own to get through before we begin here on football social daily we are the only premier league podcast out there but due to the current circumstances over the next few weeks we probably won't be quite as daily as we have been up until now but don't fret we promise to bring you at least three new podcasts a week so hit subscribe and you'll be notified of a new episode as soon as it's ready My name's Niall, and over the next half hour or so, we'll be discussing yesterday's big Premier League announcement, what it means moving forward, as well as looking at some of the latest top-flight transfer gossip, including a possible move for an informed striker from one big club to another. We'll get to that soon. But before we talk about the big news, I wanted to say our thoughts here at Sports Social are with the family and friends of former Aston Villa and Cardiff City midfielder Peter Whittingham, who sadly passed away aged just 35 yesterday. OK, let's crack on. The Premier League season will finish. That's what a joint statement issued by the FA, EFL and Premier League said yesterday. All 20 Premier League clubs got together and they said they don't care how long it takes. This season must be completed as long as it is safe to do so. Jim Salverson, for you, is that the correct decision? Look, it's the only decision that could have possibly been made. We've explored some of the different options on the podcast over the last few weeks, how they could play out the end of the season and none of them really worked for one reason or another whether it was teams being disappointed that they would have been relegated when they had a chance of escape whether it's Premier League titles being handed to certain clubs who maybe haven't quite earned that status yet but the only option at the end of the day was completing the season and I think it's quite nice to see that the Premier League announced this as being a unanimous decision as well. Every single one of the clubs agreed that this was the best outcome. That is despite noises to suggest otherwise. Karen Brady at West Ham saying that the league should be null and void. We had rumours, well, reports that we heard from uh, an unnamed source that came to the Football Social Daily that two of the clubs had said they wanted the season to be finished rather than completed. It doesn't take a genius to work out who those two clubs might have been, uh, but we probably can't mention who it was. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it had to be completed. It has to be completed at some point. So I think it's only sensible the Premier League have come to that decision. Marley, do you take a similar stance to Jim there? This was the only decision that really should have been made? Yeah, I think um, that's that's the fairest way to do it. I mean, there's a million things been 
proposed and and if you look at um you remember Sheffield United a few years ago when when they went down and they sued the Premier League for West Ham mm. uh, playing Tevez and therefore beating them on the last day and uh, and that that legal case dragged on for months probably even years uh, and eventually they they won it so do you, if if you look at the the alternate suggestion which was freeze the league and end it as it is now you couldn't then relegate them three teams at the bottom of the league because people would they would be rightly in their rights to uh, to say this is uh, this isn't fair and we're going to sue you because we didn't have the chance for our last eight or nine games so if you look at it from that perspective the premier league obviously want to avoid that and in future just get to, just get it done just get the premier league done i can see it going ahead uh, two games a week behind closed doors if i'm honest i think the fans have to accept that if we were to wait for them to be in the stadiums, you're probably looking towards the end of the year. You're probably looking at September, October time. And I think with the contract situation of players and and managers and what have you finishing in June, I think they have still got that time set. They've still got a little bit of time to play with in terms of um, getting two games a week in and getting everyone finished. Um, and hopefully they can uh, they can do that. I just think it will be behind closed doors. But we'll we'll hear from the league when they when they make that decision in the in the coming weeks. I think. I think the date that the Premier League have set is really telling. The idea that they've said that the league could resume on 30th of April. And if, and it's a big if, they want to get the Premier League finished by the 30th of June, realistically, I mean, you've got to say, probably the beginning of May, those first few weeks, is the latest the league can resume. Whether it's with or without fans, we don't know at this stage. But in terms of players getting fitness back up and getting up to speed and they can obviously do that before the Premier League resumes but to fit all those games in in quite a condensed period of time 30th of April as optimistic as it seems it's probably one of the latest dates they could actually resume the league as well I think I think the date that the Premier League have set is really telling the idea that they've said that the league could resume on 30th of April and if and it's a big if they want to get the Premier League finished by the 30th of June realistically I mean you've got to say probably the beginning of May those first few weeks is the late the league can resume whether it's with or without fans we don't know at this stage but in terms of players getting fitness back up and getting up to speed and they can obviously do that before the Premier League resumes but to fit all those games in in quite a condensed period of time 30th of April as optimistic as it seems it's probably one of the latest dates they could actually resume the league as well I think. Well, it's an interesting point you make there, Jim, because according to this statement, they've expressed that they will do whatever it takes in terms of time-wise, how, how long it will take to complete the season. We don't know, but they're not worried about that. They're not considering next season. They're not worried about anything that's going on in the summer. I dare to say they're probably not even thinking about the transfer window right now. They're just thinking about finishing this season. So let's just say the 30th of April might even be an optimistic date to restart the Premier League season. They're saying we don't care how long it takes. I mean, Mm. if this takes six months, a year, then that's how long it takes. We just need the season to be done. Yeah, and that's completely right. They've gone, this is our objective. We do want to finish the season. But there's going to be mini objectives within that as well. So the 30th of June has to be a date that they are aiming to hit just purely because they want to minimize the disruption right so they've already lost the euros that's gone transfer window will probably be changed in some way but as marley says 30th of june is the day that players contracts expire and players can't play for clubs without contracts so they could extend there's this rolling week by week scenario that's been agreed but ultimately that has to be agreed by both parties so 
the players have to want to stay at the club and the club have to want to keep the players. But also, what about those players who, as of January the 1st, players have been able to sign pre-contracts when their contracts are expiring? So you could have a player who has already signed a contract to join a club on the 30th of June who then has to play for their existing club for longer than that period. So it just... It throws up more complications. If June the thirtieth isn't a hard date, and it's not a hard date, but if if they have to, if they want to finish before June the thirtieth. Otherwise, there are even more questions, even more problems to overcome in completing the season. Do you think, Marley, that if it does go deep into the summer and maybe into the autumn before we get things started again, that we might even run the risk of not even playing next season? And I know next season's probably at the back of everyone's minds right now, but for me, there's definitely a possibility that this situation could roll on and on and God knows how long that it might even get to a point where we might even have to miss next season out entirely. There could be like huge changes to the uh, to next season's schedule if you think of um, how it works now. I mean, there's not that many times where Premier League teams play twice in a week. I think there's only two or three double game weeks in the season already. So if you're looking at, let's say you had to start it in like November... Uh, September, October, November time maybe. Um, you're then looking at teams playing 38 games over, over sort of 30 weeks rather than rather than 40. So that would mean putting in midweek games, maybe 10 midweek games as well as as mm. well as um, the Saturday games. And that's to be honest, that's what the Championship do, and they're they're fine. So mm. I don't see why Premier League teams couldn't do that. Um, but that's obviously a decision that will get made before uh, as we get through the summer and see what this the whole world situation is like. But everything's going to be affected for at least the next two seasons. But we will just have to see how, how it happens. But I can't see us getting to a point where we, we've been off an entire season because, as we've said, there's, there's just so much money in it. There's so much everything riding on, on things as players wages there's staff there's everything so I can see it getting bunched up into possibly even half the half mm. the season I think you called it right earlier Marley actually with the idea that games will be played behind closed doors particularly if they do want to resume on the 30th of April because there's no way there's going to be games in front of 50,000 people with crowds outside and people going to pubs etc etc on the 30th of April it seems like the intention is to complete the rest of the season behind closed doors and I've kind of done a bit of a 360 on this because I know a few weeks ago I was saying oh you can't do it football's all about the fans but actually is there another option and is that the most sensible solution and I'm sure if we're all stuck indoors in our houses for the next four weeks a little bit of Premier League football on telly wouldn't go amiss really I think we'd all quite enjoy that that's the thing isn't it like football is for the fans but we're trying to get to a solution where it gives the fans the best chance in in the long run of Mm not messing up seasons rather than like like you said i'd rather be sat watching football in my house behind closed doors while i'm doing nothing than not having it at all so what would you like i'm not that bothered that i can't go to a game but but i'm more bothered that the game's on i'm thinking of the club before myself because if the game's behind closed doors then that gives it a much better chance of happening of starting again in august like it always did as an industry football doesn't just affect football i mean from a very thin level around it you've got advertisers you've got tv companies betting companies who have sponsorships who all rely on there being 
Premier League football to make their livings. And even from a government point of view, the Premier League generated over three billion pounds in tax to the UK government in the 2016-17 season. And at a period of time where the government needs to be heavily have heavy outgoings to support the economy and to support people for this difficult time, they're going to want that tax revenue coming in. So there's wider implications than just football as well. From a financial point of view and from an economy point of view, it is reasonably important to get the Premier League up and running again. I think you're right, Jim, and I think it scales down even further than those big conglomerates like betting companies and TV companies and the government that you refer to. It's, you know, the small boozer on the corner of the street next to the stadium. It's the chippy next to the ground. It's the guy selling the programmes who maybe gets to keep a few quid depending on how many programmes he sells. There are a lot of people that are affected by this situation. And obviously, there's been a lot of talk about players and what their standpoint should be. And I'll come on to that in a minute. But I just thought it was interesting thinking about if games are played behind closed doors and everyone's been in isolation. I wonder what the footballers will look like in a couple of months time where they have all stacked on a load of weight from eating tubes of Pringles and bars of dairy milk in their houses. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Moving on then, talking about this situation, a lot of clubs will have hit hard times. Swiss club FC Sion have laid off nine players. They've sacked nine players, two of which are former Arsenal stars in Johan Juru and Alex Song, for refusing to take a pay cut. They refused to take a cut in wages. Mm. The club said, we're going to try and cut your wages because we can't really deal with the situation that's currently ongoing. And they refused. Therefore, they've been sacked. Now, I know it's going to be a very cutthroat world, particularly in the world of football with the situation we find ourselves in, Jim. But do you think that maybe this is a step too far or should these footballers not really have been given a choice but to take a pay cut? It's very difficult to judge another individual's situation, be it financially or from any other aspect. But on the face of it, you go, particularly with the former Arsenal stars, who we know have been on Premier League wages for a large part of their career, and the average Premier League footballer's wages in one year outstrips what most of us will earn in a lifetime. So it's quite difficult for them to plead poverty, particularly when you've got a club, I'm assuming making, assuming making is making decisions in order to guarantee the future of that football club. So maybe it's a little bit short-sighted on the player's point of view and potentially, and I use these words cautiously, because like I said, I don't know the situation of the individuals, a little bit greedy from their point of view as well. So, I mean, it seems like the club is making intelligent decisions and treating it almost like a club would treat a relegation by looking to reduce costs to keep them going for the time being. Who knows what guarantees were made beyond that? Were they told that they would have their wages reinstated to a former level when play resumes? Who knows? But yeah, I mean, it's easy to paint the players as the bad guys in that scenario, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. What's your take on this, Marley? Because, you know, we see footballers having this lifestyle and they live a very privileged lifestyle. And I think most of them will admit that. But, you know, they are human beings. and They do have things to pay for like the rest of us. So, I mean, what's your take on this whole thing? When, when you mentioned the names involved, I mean, in particular, Alex Song. He's had moves in his career where he's made a lot of money and he's had a lot of near misses to big clubs where he's uh, reportedly demanded bigger wages. I mean, he was he was at West Ham for a, for a, a period of time where he looked like a genuine world beater and when he came uh, to making that move permanent, he, he didn't fancy it. He, he, 
it's one of them where it was he was demanding too much money, and you think that he's he's, he's towards the end of his career now. If he's he, still only thirty two, so he's still got a little bit of football left in him. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, he's had twelve years of being a footballer. Where is mm. if anyone can't if anyone can survive having the pay cut slightly, <laughs> maybe even even halved, it's that guy. So. In times like this, you find out what you find out the character of people. You find out what people are about, and whether they're in it to survive as a collective or in it to survive as an individual. And Alex Song, and to an extent as well, Juru, have proved themselves to be a bit individualistic by saying, "Well, I want no. I've got a contract. I'm going to dig my heels in." For me, that's absolutely ridiculous. I feel sorry for the rest of them who've never played for a club like Arsenal or a club like Barcelona. In um, in Alex Song's case. So it's those guys that I'm like, I have a bit more sympathy for. But, you know, it's, it's one of them where these things are going to happen. These things are clubs and endless pots of money around the world. They, they are to an extent in the Premier League, but in the Swiss League where the money's a bit tighter, they are going to have to make cutbacks. And you've got to go with it as a player. You have to show a bit of togetherness and say, I understand the situation. I'm happy to cut my wages from 10 grand a week to 6 grand a week because it'll help you like you're still on 6 grand a week you've got to have a bit of humility about it yeah and you're keeping other people in the job as well aren't you other people like you mentioned on podcast earlier this week Marley the tea lady the guy who sells the programs as I just mentioned the people selling the food in the kiosks it is a a big a big pyramid system and you know even if you take a small pay cut you might help 10 other staff members out there's massive disparities in football as well between the amount of people that you just mentioned earned and footballers, obviously. And I don't think if you saw Manchester United have announced this, I think it was yesterday they announced that they are guaranteeing the match day incomes of even casual and freelance staff who won't be working at games, which I think is a brilliant step. And there's no reason why every Premier League club shouldn't be doing exactly the same in this scenario. But wouldn't it be lovely to see instead of players going, well, if you're going to half my wages, I'm off, I'm going to do one. Wouldn't it be lovely to see Premier League players going, well, I'll tell you what, look, take one of my weekly wage packets and support the staff. This is a sport that has struggled. At one one end of the scale, it pays Alexis Sanchez £250,000 a week or whatever he's on. At the other end of the scale, it doesn't pay individuals the living wage. And that's a ridiculous scenario right across football. So wouldn't it be nice if we saw a few gestures from Premier League footballers who went, do you know what? Look, here's one week's wages that will support everybody at the club. That will support the stewards and the tea ladies for a week of their lives or two weeks of their lives or, or whatever it is. It would be nice if we saw a little bit of balance being restored there. Yeah, Manchester United have pledged a million pounds, which if that's helping out all of their casual staff, Jim, in a stadium as big as Old Trafford, 75,000, then it just goes to show the disparity between the players' wages and the normal regular staff, which is something you'd expect. We've come to get used to it in the modern game, but it just goes to show a million pounds is a drop in the ocean to a club like Manchester United. Like an agent's fee or something like that, isn't it? If that, a half an agent's fee. Two weeks of Alexis Sanchez's wage, if you... Uh... If you if you believe what uh, what is apparently on, so that just puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And you talk about nice gestures, Jim. 
not often we uh, use the the term nice gestures and UEFA in the same sentence, but it looks like, <laughs> according to Calcio Mercato, the Italian press uh, are suggesting that UEFA are considering the suspension of FFP regulations. Of course, Manchester City and the Premier League have been caught up in this whole financial fair play argument with UEFA. They've been banned from the Champions League for two seasons. That case is subject to be heard in the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Whenever that will happen, we don't know because, of course, due to the current pandemic, all court hearings are off at this moment in time. But the issue is here that football clubs uh, might be stung with losses or owners having to support themselves and support their clubs by putting in more money than the FFP rules suggest they should do just to keep their businesses going. And maybe that doesn't sound too fair, to be honest, which is it's an interesting uh, idea from UEFA that they might actually waive the losses of, of this financial season just to ensure that clubs do stay afloat. It'll be interesting to see whether anyone takes advantage of that though, won't it? And how they judge whether it is general running costs or whether it has been abused previous to this time. I mean, another word you don't often associate with UEFA is common sense, but it does seem to be common sense that when clubs aren't going to be making the incomes they predicted they were going to be making, how are they going to pay people? How are they going to keep the club afloat? No one saw this coming. No one predicted this was going to happen. And when the clubs were making transfers six months ago over the January, they would have expected the season to conclude. They would have expected to get television money, which they might not get now. They would have expected to get competition money. So with that not happening, it's difficult to see how they can keep FFP enforced. That said, it's just, for me, yet more evidence that the FFP rules have not been thought out in any way and don't really do the job they're intended there to do. This has come from the Italian press, Marley, who I would suggest are flaky at the best of times. But this does feel like it might have a little bit of legs in it. The idea is to basically freeze the debts for the 1920 season, which basically leaves clubs in a little bit of a limbo. But Jim's right. There are some football clubs that might exploit this, but it does seem like the right thing to do if this is to be something that goes ahead. Yeah, it's... um. You can't expect people in this current climate to operate financially as they were and as they expected and as they forecast to to do. Um, however, what it does what it does do is open up a hell of a lot more uh, loopholes. And considering a, a club like Man City were so intent that they hadn't broke any rules, probably by exploiting loopholes that already appeared, this is just going to strengthen their case even more and. It could be another nail in the coffin of FFP because this just proves that uh, things happen that you don't see coming, and that that then causes um, potential, you know, like payments that you weren't expected to have, and and what have you. So it's um, it's crazy that that uh, this is all came about at the perfect time for Man City. Are you suggesting that Manchester City started the Maybe. coronavirus? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm suggesting. <laughs> Maybe it's Pep Guardiola. And uh, Kike Bergeristein have invented this virus <laughs> and sent it around the world and then been like, I know, lads, I've got this. I've employed some scientist in China to go, we'll take the hit for this, lads. We'll be all right. I've got us a way out of this. 
if that's the case, it makes sense why, why Mikel Arteta was one of the first Premier League personalities to be infected he by the virus. He's a guinea pig, that's what it is. God, He's this all fits pig. together. Oh, this is a perfect conspiracy. It's all coming together. Anyway, it's time for a quick break now here on Football Social Daily, and there's no conspiracy about German doner kebabs. Made with lean meats, hand-toasted breads and signature sauces, you can find your nearest GDK restaurant at germandonerkebab.com. We'll catch you the other side of this. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Find your nearest GDK restaurants at germandonerkebab.com. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your only daily Premier League podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe and every time we release a new episode, you'll be notified straight away. Go and follow us on Twitter as well. It's at the Sports Social. And also, if you've got a smart speaker at home, an Amazon Alexa or anything of the like, make sure you ask to open Sports Social and you'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest Premier League news from your club. So, lots of news in terms of transfer gossip, and uh, we're going to start with one of the biggest stories I've seen recently, and of course, newspaper columns need to be filled by journalists in this barren patch of news. One of the bigger stories I saw was that Chelsea are eyeing up a move for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Aubameyang has been, well, absolutely lethal, in my opinion, since he joined Arsenal. This is a, an interesting one to swap North London Reds for West London Blues, to use a pro-evolution soccer term, Jim. Uh, can you see this one happening? This isn't the most out-of-the-ordinary transfer news I've ever seen. I heard a similar rumour about Aubameyang over the last week with him being connected to Manchester United. And I saw the rumour about Manchester United and I kind of went, it uh, doesn't feel right. And then I saw this rumour about Chelsea and for some reason it does feel right. And that, that's purely gut instinct I think it's because Manchester United are trying to build this young dynamic team and Aubameyang's probably well is he the wrong side of 30 yet he's certainly approaching that to be considered young anymore it kind of makes sense that he'd fit with Chelsea I don't know whether that's because of the hangover of the uh, Abramovich millions and he would be an incredibly expensive acquisition for Chelsea but it does seem like the kind of player that would work well in that Chelsea team and maybe I mean it's difficult so you feel sorry for Tammy Abraham because he's had such a brilliant season and if you bought a player like Aubameyang in you'd imagine Abraham would be restricted to the bench and kind of a bit part player but they they are similar players in style so it would kind of make sense to build a squad where you've got two similar players in a position that can be interchangeable so yeah I think there might be there might be some might be some legs in this one. Jim makes an interesting point there, Marley, because it seems almost certain that Giroud, even though he's been decent lately in the absence of Abraham, and Batshuayi will both leave Stamford Bridge when the transfer window opens for pastures new. However, we know Lampard absolutely loves Tammy Abraham. He adores him. So, I mean, this could be an interesting battle for who's the number one man up top for Chelsea if Aubameyang comes in. Yeah, um, I th- I actually think it's a, it's a very good move for Chelsea and possibly even for Abraham, you know, because if you look at Chelsea's squad, um, obviously there's going to be upheaval in the in the attacking department, that's why and uh, Giroud are probably going to leave um, that leaves Abraham who we all know Lampard likes um, for then for for Abraham to, to flourish, you have to bring in a striker who can give you something now that isn't going to be around in two or three years so you're looking at the age of sort of 30, 31 that's perfect. That's Aubameyang in a nutshell. So he's um, as well. If you look at the similarities in the game, they they're both like uh, the pace. Abraham and Aubameyang. They're 
the physical strikers. And if you're if you're looking from a Tammy Abraham point of view, is there a better person to learn from than someone mm. like Aubameyang? I I if this is if this is true and not just people typing because they're all bored on lockdown in their own houses, um, then I think that it could be perfect for Chelsea because it just fits. And also as well, if for for example Willian and Pedro leave Chelsea as well, uh, Chelsea are going to need wingers. They play the front three. Aubameyang's comfortable on that left side as well, so you could even potentially get them in the same team. So I think if if there is some truth to this, can see the advantages of it, and I think it's a good move for Chelsea if they can get him on a decent price with his contract running down as well. How much do you think he'd cost? What kind of fee do you think Chelsea would be looking to pay for? I mean, he's got a year left, hasn't he, come the summer? I'd say seventy million, something around there. Sounds about right to That's me. A hefty fee, isn't it? Still. It is, but I guess what? in the modern day, you you, million. Wow. you you can get a quality player with, for with a for year that. left. I can't see it being that much. No, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I I, I fancy. It. Oh, really? You think you get it? They're getting for forty. It depends how much money everyone's got left after paying the, <laughs> paying the staff after all this uh, yeah. stuff calms down. But I can't see it being anywhere more than fifty, to be honest. It's an interesting one because Mikel Arteta recently, or before the the Premier League season got suspended was mentioning about how Arsenal needed to do pretty much everything they could to entice Aubameyang to stay at the club, Jim. So that kind of suggests to me that there has been some rumblings that he could be on his way out anyway. It's been rumoured for a long time. He's been linked with a lot of clubs and he's not been particularly forward in saying he's staying at the club either. I think it's, I mean, if we had the cliche bell or a remote version of the cliche bell... It I'll, I'll insert it one. Because, I'll insert you know, one okay. for you. Edit it in later. It's, um, yeah, there's no smoke without fire with this kind of thing quite often and transfer rumours are often generated to the players agents themselves when either they do want to move or they fancy a bit of extra money in their contract so I either I mean one one or two scenarios is going to happen Aubameyang will sign a massive new deal at Arsenal which seems unlikely uh, or he will go off to pass as new and sign a massive new deal somewhere else someone with lots of money like Chelsea OK, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Of course, Chelsea still waiting for the season to be concluded to see whether they finish in the Champions League places. Could that be the clincher for Aubameyang if he is to want to join Chelsea in the transfer window? OK, what about Manchester United? They, according to Mundo Deportivo, the Spanish newspaper, have inquired at Barcelona over the availability of Felipe Coutinho, who, of course, has been on loan at Bayern Munich. Liverpool sold him for upwards of 100 million a few years ago. It doesn't really feel like they've missed him with the form that Liverpool have been in in the last two seasons and knocking on the door of their first Premier League crown in 30 years. So, Coutinho, could we see a swift return to English football for him? But to Liverpool's rivals, Manchester United, Marley, that would be controversial. Well, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of the uh, of the cop when if you come back to Man United. I mean the. They hate him for leaving anyway. I think the only reason they've they've uh, sort of been okay with him leaving is is because of what's happened in the last two years. He's, he's Liverpool have been all right without him, but still, when he comes back, uh, when he was with Barcelona there last year, he got he got booed like booed as much as anyone's ever been booed at uh, at Anfield. So if he went back to Man United, that'd be ugh, I wouldn't fancy it myself. Um, but for Man United, it could be it could be a good move, but. Again, it's a lot of money. You've got to pay a premium package for Coutinho. Um, and it's a case of you couldn't have him and Pogba and De Gea and Alexis Sanchez on the on the wage bill because you're looking at a quarter of a million pounds a week probably for Coutinho. So 
there needs to be outgoings at Man United before anything can happen, I would assume. Um, and it's a case of whether you can get Coutinho, Bruno Fernandes, Rashford and, and um, Pogba, if you keep him in the same team, it might be might be difficult. So it could be a, a big upheaval at Man United in the summer. Would he be a good replacement for Juan Mata? Do you think he's that co- he'd play that kind of role? What, the bench role? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, when Juan Mata used to get more game time, I mean, he's obviously reaching the end of his Manchester United career. He's not as pivotal. But that kind of number 10, um, potentially. No, I don't think so, because Bruno's, Bruno Fernandes is, is the number 10 now. And if you, uh, if you brought someone else in, you're just kind of stepping all over him. And the impact he's made suggests they wouldn't lose that. Mm. I think Coutinho plays best from the left anyway. Um, if you're looking at the left side of a front three, if you want to go with that system, but then if you do go with that system, Rashford plays there yeah, as he has all season and Martial plays down the middle. So it's it's a decision that has to be made, I suppose. Manchester United need to spend a decent amount of money this transfer window, don't they? I mean, they, there's still a lot of gaping holes in that team. They need a left back. They need a new centre back. Potentially need another defensive midfielder. They could do with a real top quality striker. So as you say, if they're going to put a massive investment into a player like Coutinho, who would cost a whopping amount in wages, I don't know how long he's got left on his Barcelona contract, but him being on loan at Bayern would suggest that they're looking to offload him, so might get a reduced fee there. But it's still going to be punchy. With the investment Manchester United do need to make in their playing squad, it doesn't feel like one of the roles that they need to slap a load of money on the table for. Is this just a case then of good player who played for big club and joined bigger club now wants to rejoin other big club in, you know, move to revive his career? That's what it kind of feels like to me. Yeah, and how many clubs are going to be able to afford him and his wages? It's quite limited. I mean, that's the problem these players have when they go up and up and up in the wage brackets that they get to this point where if they want to continue to earn that amount of money then their options do become limited and particularly once they get on the wane slightly when their form drops a little bit it becomes very difficult to command those wages so you look at a, a Manchester United or a move to China or something like that and or an, or PSG I mean Philip Coutinho to PSG would make a lot of sense wouldn't it so, yeah, it, the options are limited. Manchester United would be one of the suitors that could potentially afford him, but it just doesn't feel like it's the kind of transfer that Manchester United need to do. OK, on to our final story then in terms of transfer gossip. Anton Deck, Salt and Pepper, Maurizio Sarri and Jorginho, all <laughs> things that go together. No surprise that the Juventus boss wants to bring one of his favourite players, Jorginho, to the Allianz and he could offer... Pjanic in a swap deal uh, that's according to various sources Marley we know how good Pjanic is but we also know how much Sari loves Jorginho so there's no reason why this one couldn't be a possibility either yeah he's um to be honest mate when, when you first said Ant and Deck I was like what is this going to be some sort of weird story where Ant and Deck are going to sign for Newcastle or involved in the takeover bid <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought here we go um, but no I mean Jorginho and Sarri it's just it's almost like Sarri can't play his system without only him yeah I mean Jorginho's a great player he is very very good at what he does but Sarri just like he has to have him like when he came to Chelsea he was like you have to bring Jorginho because I need him he didn't even it was to the point as well where Kante was the best defensive midfielder in the world mm. at the time and he moved his position because he needed Jorginho in his team and it was like it's just a bit of a 
a black mark on his management that he needs Jorginho. Well, what happens when Jorginho retires? <laughs> or, or gets injured for a long time. Like, Maurizio Sarri might be dead by then, Marley. He's getting on a bit as it is. He's he's knocking on, and if the virus gets him, I, I wouldn't fancy his chances with all that all that smoking. But um, <laughs> he's, it's just what it like. Why do you keep signing him? Like, surely there are other players that can be molded into a Jorginho role if if that's what you want. But, yeah. but we've seen I mean, the impact I... that a, a good defensive midfielder. When you put a good defensive midfielder into a team that can play like a like Kante can, like can play like Fabinho, that can kind of play that role, can protect your back line. It, it mm. is really important, particularly if you set up to stifle the opposition, as Sarri does. Yeah, I personally don't think that you can fit Jorginho into that defensive midfielder mould, as strange as it sounds. He does lie yeah, in a deep yeah. position, but the Italians, obviously Sarri ball, as everyone's come to know, the Italians call it the Trecortista role. So basically what it is, it's what Pirlo used to play. And Pirlo was absolutely exceptional at this. He tore England to shreds in Euro 2012 by playing this role. It's the deep line midfield player, but it's not the kind of destroyer, the tackler. It's very much the picking your head up and pinging passes, breaking the lines. And Jorginho like is back role almost. absolutely right. Yeah, so the Trecortista is what they call it. And, and Jorginho has been doing that pretty well at Chelsea but it, it doesn't quite work in the English game for whatever reason we're not 100% sure but the Chelsea fans weren't convinced by Maurizio Sarri and obviously Jorginho is the kind of the the prime suspect in terms of if you want to bring in a Trek or Tista or play Sarri ball you, you sign Jorginho it wouldn't be a surprise if he goes back there I don't think personally it's kind of like the Italian version of Harry Redknapp and Peter Crouch isn't it or Nico Crancher or Jermaine Defoe <laughs> or, a, or any other players yeah, yeah. Um, what about Miriam Pjanic then Marley we, we know a little bit about him and there's been rumours of him coming to the Premier League over the last couple of transfer windows but as Jim mentioned earlier a lot of the players we're talking about at the moment are probably 30 or around the age of 30 so there might be sort of one or two big transfers left in them but Pjanic is still a quality player yeah I think um, it's funny that you said before it was like the the Jorginho role or the Perla role because I call it the John Joe Shelby role <laughs> uh, with Pjanic I mean he's, I'm just looking at his, his age now he's 29 he's 30 in a couple of weeks if you look at what he's got he's a fantastic range of passing um, sort of a very good playmaker but he's not the he's not the quickest he's not the most physical um, if you're looking at that old uh, the old cliche about the English game being physical and fast and whatever you're asking a lot of a guy who's 30 to come in and set the world alight kind of thing um, so I just he's, he's a quality player but I'd, I'm just not really sure that bringing in a 30 year old midfielder is in Chelsea's best interests yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Of course, one of many transfer rumours that will surface and bubble to our attention over the next few weeks and months. But um, looks like it could be uh, an interesting few weeks that we're in store for. Before we close down the podcast, lads, I thought I'd ask you a, a strange question that we would probably have never asked on the podcast in normal circumstances. What are you having for dinner? Depends what I can rob from the, uh, the co-op. <laughs> Depends what's left. I went to the supermarket yesterday to stock up because the uh, the supplies in the bunker are getting pretty low at the moment. So we went to have a look around. The, the shelves are pretty much empty. But the one thing I was able to pick up a healthy supply of, really weirdly, was Corona beer. 
It's like nobody is buying Corona beer. The shelves in the supermarket have got that on and nothing else. So that's what I'm going to be having for dinner. Loads of Corona beer. I could only get my hands on Guinness. So uh, if I come into the uh, into the office in a few weeks, yeah, and I'm three stone heavier, then you can blame the Guinness. Meal in a can, that. Meal in a can, yeah. No need for rationing. You can just have a can of Guinness whenever you fancy it. Talking of beer and talking of boozes, we are doing a little pub quiz on uh, our social media as well, which we've put together for you. So go and test your wits against that. That'll be out uh, very soon. So keep your eyes peeled across our social media at the Sports Social on Twitter and it's at Sports Social on Instagram. But that's all we've got for you for now. We'll speak to you again soon. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Extra meat, extra protein. Try the GDK Gym Box.